You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now a word from our sponsor, Netscope. Netscope is a worldwide leader in SASE and Zero Trust. Its unified platform, Netscope One, provides optimized access and zero trust security for people, devices, and data anywhere they go, helping customers reduce risk, accelerate performance, and get unrivaled visibility into any cloud, web, and private application activity. To learn more about how Netscope helps customers be ready for anything on their sassy journey, visit netskope.com. Black water is snooping around the Middle East. It's evasive and looks a lot like the more familiar muddy water threat actor. Team Viewer turns out to have been hacked and the perpetrators look like the proprietors of the Winti backdoor. An Android app is behaving badly. Another unsecured database is found hanging out on the internet. There's a free decryptor out for a strain of ransomware, but it won't help Baltimore. And the market's looking at the Huawei ban. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Tuesday, May 21st, 2019. Researchers at Cisco's Talus unit have released a report on the Blackwater cyber espionage campaign that's currently active in the Middle East. Talos associates Blackwater with the previously known persistent threat actor, Muddy Water. There's the usual ambiguity about whether Blackwater is to be regarded as a campaign or an actor. We'll follow Talus and call it a campaign. Blackwater seems to be unusually evasive. It's added, Talos says, three steps to Muddy Water's familiar pattern. First, it uses an obfuscated Visual Basic for Applications, that's VBA script, to establish persistence as a registry key. It then installs a PowerShell stager that's designed to look like a red teaming tool, which will presumably induce many defenders to overlook it. Finally, its communication, once installed, goes back to a different command and control server than the one used in the initial attack stages. Talos doesn't say who's behind either Blackwater or Muddy Water. Their purpose is to describe behavior and not to answer who done it. But Muddy Water has for some time been attributed by MITRE and others to Iran. TeamViewer, the German firm that provides remote connectivity solutions to business customers, turns out to have indeed been compromised in 2016 and perhaps as early as 2014. Der Spiegel says the firm did not disclose the incident at the time because, in TeamViewer's opinion, this was unnecessary, since the intrusion affected only its infrastructure as opposed to its customers. The attack is attributed to Chinese intelligence services, largely on the strength of the use of WinT malware, a backdoor trojan favored by Chinese government cyber operators since its introduction in 2009. It's thought that the threat actors responsible may have been APT-10, also known as Red Apollo or our favorite, Stone Panda, which is what CrowdStrike calls them, or APT-17, sometimes associated with the name Deputy Dog, not to be confused with Deputy Dog, the Terry Toons hero, who suppressed Varmint's misbehavior down in the swampland. APT-10 has often been linked with attacks on cloud service providers, APT-17 with incursions into supply chains. In any case, ZDNet reports, the tactics, techniques, and procedures look like those belonging to those two APTs. WinT malware is no stranger to German industry. 
It was found in attacks on both chemical and pharmaceutical giant Bayer and heavy manufacturer Thyssen Krupp. As the 5G build-out continues to gain momentum, how it will ultimately affect the security of critical infrastructure has become a topic of concern. Dave Venable is vice president of cybersecurity at security provider Macerg. I tend to think of it as anything from, you know, electrical power plants, uh, the electric grid, communications infrastructure, things that society relies on uh, to function in a normal way. We're not talking about some website or something like that, although a website certainly could be a part of infrastructure, but I typically think of it as the things that let that website exist in the first place. Hmm. Those everyday things we've come to rely on, the power and water and all those sorts of things. Exactly. Or, or even, you know, telephone service or internet connections at this point. And so what are the challenges that we're facing here as the demand for those systems increases? One of the big issues today is that a lot of these systems were designed, you know, 50 plus years ago. And security was not really held in mind at, at that time. So when these things were being developed, it just assumed that if you had access that you were trustworthy. And uh, as we know today, that's definitely not the case. Now, there's been a lot of progress made in sort of segmenting these things and, and building up security around it in the last several years uh, to where I mean, we're, we're not typically facing problems at this level very often. Although, as, as you've seen with Baltimore, a, a lot of what would probably be termed as infrastructure there has been impacted recently. So what are we looking at uh, in the future here? I see a lot of um, talk about how 5G is going to enable um, things when it comes to infrastructure. What's your take on that? I mean, 5G certainly will be a huge game changer and, and in a positive way. Uh, but, but we have to do it right. I, I mentioned a minute ago that a lot of these like industrial control systems and things like that were designed years before anyone was really thinking about real security. And today we have this fairly unique opportunity to build up a new infrastructure with a, a modern way of thinking about it. I mean, as we've seen with the Huawei cases and, and some things like that recently, there's certainly a lot of potential for this to go in very, very negative ways. We just need to proceed with caution, I would say, and keep security and integrity and, and all of those things in mind throughout the process. As we're on the leading edge of this transition, what are your recommendations for people to prepare themselves from a security point of view? What are the best practices they should adopt? So one of the biggest things that you can do is enable multi-factor authentication. Um, from a privacy point of view, that actually makes a huge impact. Um, this is where you type in a password and then so an app on your phone or, or something along that line provides a code that you then type in as well. Now, that applies kind of ubiquitously across any infrastructure, but I, I always like throwing that out there. With looking at the future of, of 5G and big data and, and all of these concerns, there's unfortunately not a lot that the individual can do. Altering your habits to be uh, essentially, the, the way I like to think of it is with personas, right? So if you have your public persona, then here's all the things that I don't care for everyone in the world to know. 
if you're mindful of that and just kind of keep keep that out there at all times, you're, you're far better off. There's certainly a number of ways to kind of create alternate personas that, that you only use at certain times, sort of sort of an operational security perspective. But with 5G, I mean, sort of becoming a, a prepper, having a bunch of water at home and, and a generator and things like that, there's, there's really not much you can do to try to prevent sort of being impacted by an infrastructure attack or, or things like that. Kind of demonstrates part of the problem, I think. That's Dave Venable from Macerg. There's an app behaving badly in the Android ecosystem. Upstream System Security Lab SecureD says that VidMate, an Android app with about half a billion downloads, is up to a lot of not-so-good things. VidMate allegedly serves adware, subscribes users to paid services without their knowledge, and sucks down their mobile data. These things are all bad. VidMate told BuzzFeed it was investigating the matter, but declined to say much more than that. VidMate facilitates downloads of video from YouTube, WhatsApp, and other sources, but we think we'll do without it. An unsecured AWS database, apparently belonging to a Mumbai-based social media marketing outfit, Chatterbox, has exposed information on millions of Instagram influencers, celebrities, and brand accounts, TechCrunch reports. The data seem to have been obtained by scraping. Bravo MSysoft, which has released a decryptor for JSWorm 2.0 ransomware. The decryptor is available for free from the New Zealand-based security firm. If you're a victim, MSysoft urges you not to pay, but to visit their site and use their decryptor. That decryptor won't help the city of Baltimore, alas. Charm City was afflicted almost two weeks ago with Robinhood ransomware, and while reversion to manual backup has restored some city services, most notably the ability to transfer deeds in real estate transactions, recovery is looking like a long and probably costly process. The new mayor, Jack Young, said at the end of last week that he had no precise timeline for recovery, but that the city was hard at work rebuilding systems in a way that would enable Baltimore to restore its business functions securely. It's going to be pricey. Apparently, Baltimore doesn't have insurance against this kind of attack. The taxpayers will be even more unhappy than usual. The U.S. continues to be serious about strictures against Huawei as markets sort out the ban's consequences. The Commerce Department has relaxed some of its restrictions Huawei's placement on the entity list imposed, but those relaxations are designed for the convenience of some U.S. businesses and don't come close to amounting to a get-out-of-jail-free card for the Chinese tech giant. U.S. companies, including Google, Qualcomm, and Intel, were quick to cut Huawei off. Huawei, for its part, has warned everyone not to take it lightly, that it has resources to draw upon, and that it doesn't intend to go quietly. How the markets ultimately regard the companies enmeshed in U.S. sanctions remains to be seen. Huawei suggests that its customers and vendors are likely to feel the bite more than Huawei itself, but others aren't so sure. There's also some pointing with alarm at the emergence of a new Cold War in cyberspace, but the first non-lethal shots in that particular war were fired so long ago that this hardly counts as news. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. 
It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications, so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. And joining me once again is Craig Williams. He's the director of Talos Outreach at Cisco. Craig, it's always great to have you back. Um, I wanted to touch base with you on some of the stuff that you and the Talos team are monitoring out there on the net. What do you see in these days? Well, so we actually did have some really interesting data. One of our researchers, Chris Evans, has been out there trying out uh, different types of honey nets, honey pots, you know, and putting out things to see if people fiddle with them. And uh, one of the more interesting things that we've seen recently is attackers specifically targeting elastic search clusters. Describe to me what you're seeing. Well, so they're basically uh, trying to use older attacks. So we're looking at CVEs from 2015 and 2014. You know, I, but I'm, I'm sure you realize a lot of people who run these massive elastic search clusters don't really keep them up to date, unfortunately. Um, during the period we looked at this, we were able to identify what we believe were six distinct actors basically poking at these servers to see what they could do. Now, that's interesting because, uh, you know, I guess my first inclination would be to think that if folks were using uh, techniques that were that old, then they wouldn't be that effective, but that's not the case? Definitely not. Um, unfortunately, a lot of times, you know, companies set up these servers, and then as long as things are working, they don't tend to mess with them. It's, you know, kind of the uptime thing, right? If it's if it didn't broken, don't fix it. And unfortunately, they don't realize that's not always true with software because as time goes on, even if your server was perfectly functional, well, people are going to discover problems in the software. They're going to develop ways to exploit the software. And so if you don't put mitigations in place or patch it, you're going to have a bad day, particularly for those systems connected directly to the Internet. And are there any patterns that are emerging here in terms of who you might think is up to this or, or what they're after? Actually, yes. There are some very interesting little weird patterns that they're doing. Hmm. Um, one of them that allowed us to track one group is they're trying to download a file with a very specific name. Uh, now, hilariously, the server they're trying to download it from is no longer hosting that file. So basically what that means is it was, you know, it's an automated worm type thing just hammering on and hammering on, even though the entire campaign is really broken since that file is no longer there. 
you know, uh, one of the other things we thought was funny was that uh, it echoed a specific command into the, the server. And we believe that part of the command is actually a social media identifier. And when we looked up the account for that social media identifier, it's a particular uh, Chinese social media account, and it posts about cybersecurity and attacks periodically. Now, you know, I, <laughs> yeah, I don't, I want to be clear here, right? This could be somebody trying to frame that particular user. It could be someone just goofing around. Uh, it could be completely coincidental. So, you know, on these type of things, you've really got to look at that type of information with a little bit of a grain of salt because you can never really say that that would be that person, right? Why would it make sense for the attacker to drop their social media account? I mean, yeah. I, I guess it's true bad guys have horrible OPSEC and love signing their work to make it easier for <laughs> us. But, but seriously, really? Like, it's going to be that simple? So where does it go next for you all? You, you have this honeypot out there and you see this activity. Where do you take it next? Well, you know, that's why we basically come on shows like yours and we post things to our blog so that people are aware that this is happening. Honeypots are a useful tool, but honeypots are usually very easy to detect. And so our team will go to great lengths to try and make it very difficult for people to detect them. You know, we have customized software. We deploy it around the world. We deploy it in IP spaces not attributable to the company or any company that people associate us with. And so when we see these type of things, we're very confident that this is representative of basically the background attack traffic of the Internet. And so we alerted our customers, we're alerting all your listeners and our listeners that if you're running this software, you need to be aware that it's being targeted. Um, and so if you're running Elasticsearch 1.4.2 or lower, you've got to upgrade or you've got to get some sort of intrusion prevention system like Snort in place to protect you against those threats. All right. Craig Williams, thanks for joining us. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for CyberWire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow.